you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. The Around the NFL podcast. Can't wait to go to Qatar. Qatar? 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 Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined in a room that's filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Happy Friday. Hey, Dan. Just before we started, I said, Lindsay, start the music. Play the music, because we got to get this on mic. Uh, we were talking about various Disney movies. Greg and I had never seen The Lion King, and uh, we were having a conversation about the uh, the millennial cash grab that is the Beauty and the Beast remake, and now the upcoming Lion King remake. Um, and then Mark mentioned that back in, I'm going to, pretty good with the years of movies, I believe 1990? 80, uh, 89. 89, yep. Little Mermaid came out, and Mark, you went on a date with a a woman to see The Little Mermaid. Well, yes, it was with a woman. Um, I, right. was, I was young. Young per- younger person, it was an incredible, incredible time. How old were you in 1989? You were 15. It was not a woman. It had to have been a teenage girl. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm seeing what... <laughs> this is where the five-year... Dan went deep down the road to suggest that, yes, it was a female, and I went on a date with her in, when I, I was I didn't like go 15. deep down any road. I just said she yeah. was a woman, and... Was she like your uh, math teacher? Well, it's like a five. It's a five to six year gap between you know the right side of the table here, the kissing cousins, Chris Wessling and Mark Sessler, and then the left, you know, this side being Dan. This is where that five years is about as big as ever because it's fifteen to ten. It's half your life that at seems that point. Crazy. The yeah. Little, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, but it was it was a long distance girlfriend. Um, How could from, you have a long distance girlfriend? You were fifteen. Dude, I operated in all sorts of circles. You were but I, you were a coxman in those years. I That's met well her known. at at a at a summer camp. And and so we kept the relationship alive, and, you know, for first, the thing started. I won't go too deep into this, but Please we do. would talk on the phone 
for hours. And this is back like, you know, you're using up the only phone in the house, which was annoying to my family. But then the phone bill arrived and it was like $180 of collect calls to like this town in northern Connecticut where she lived. Mm. And then her mom and my the moms would drive us. Didn't you live in Connecticut? It cost that much. Yeah, but we t- so, we would yeah. talk on the phone right. for like three hours from like nine wow. at night until midnight. <laughs> this is and romance. We were in love, and then um, it, then it all crumbled because you know you, anything that begins in ninth grade, good luck with that lasting when yeah. you're not in the same town. I think we talked about this way back in the ATL Debate Club days that you did very well for yourself in your early teenage years. Uh, I think relative to 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 some guys, yes. Yeah. Relative to, to others, I did very little. I think it's like you. Yeah. You're active, or you're not. Was it exactly like the movie Kids? I'm. I'm not saying. No, it that. was not. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. That's advanced. I was still throwing rocks at girls in 1989. <laughs> it's another way to go about it. Never let them know you, you like them. You know. Wow. Well, that's what happens when you grow up with six brothers and no sisters. Yeah, that's a poor strategy. <laughs> so, are you like? Um... No, we got to get to the show, but I have more <laughs> questions. Like, were you? Did, did you make out in the theater to like Under the Sea? I'm just curious because I, I mean, think that's was, something that happens. I think I think you when necking? you're when you're dating, yes, and you go to a movie in your teens, right? The movie is a secondary <laughs> part of, of what, what you're, you're surrounded hoping would by, like seven-year-old like girls. It was and actually moms. It was this was what was great. It was a weird weeknight, and there was maybe like five other people in the theater. I, love I think this. Little Mermaid had been out for a while. It wasn't like I was going to the midnight showing of Little Mermaid. I had to see it. I feel like part yeah, of your world, part of your world, that's more the make-out song. You're not going to be making out during Under the Sea. <laughs> see, I'm on top of this because I have Under the Sea is hand-holding tops. Greg might be right. I don't remember. All right. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Around the NFL podcast uh, presented by no one beholden to nothing. For the time being. Still. Until it's decided that we are beholden to something or someone. Um, a lot to get to today. Some uh, uh, big news out of Detroit involving Matt Patricia. Uh, unsettling news. Um, also talking about uh, Adrian Peterson. Still doesn't have a job. And he has uh, now putting out some feelers out there. Kind of like a, hey, everybody remember me uh, uh, situation for all day. And we have a segment coming up. Mark, you just got back, and it's been proven via paperwork from jury duty. So what are we going to do? New segment. The jury is still out on ellipses. Uh, So there you go. That's today's show. A lot to get to. Let's – you ready to get to it, Greg? Please. Let's do some news. All right, so this is not a story that's fun to talk about, but it's a major uh, situation going on involving the Detroit Lions. Matt Patricia, uh, the head coach who uh, uh, parlayed a successful tenure as the D.C. of the Patriots to a head coaching gig uh, with the Lions. Um, It came out late Thursday or Wednesday night. The Detroit News dropped a report detailing the um, offering details on a sexual assault um, claim that led to an indictment in Texas 22 years or when Patricia was 22 years old. Uh, the case never actually went to court, but Patricia, uh, this had not come up at any point in his football career in the NFL, not with the Patriots. The lines did not know about it, uh, but obviously this is a big story 
And Patricia, the next morning, was in front of the media uh, explaining his side of the story, uh, a story that he feels or that he expresses uh, comes from a place of complete innocence. Here's what Patricia has to say. Thankfully, truth is on my side. I lived with the mental torture of a situation where facts can be completely ignored or misrepresented with disregard to the consequence and pain that it would create for another person. I find it unfair and upsetting that someone would bring this claim up over two decades later for the sole purpose of hurting my family, my friends, and this organization with the intention of trying to damage my character and credibility. I was innocent then, and I am innocent now. Let me be clear. My priorities remain the same, to move forward and strive to be the best coach, teacher, and man that I can possibly be. Greg, this is a bombshell uh, for the Detroit Lions. What struck me when it first popped up Wednesday night was how it came into the news, which was by a statement from the Lions organization from ownership, the general manager, everyone's name was on this statement. It was coordinated. It came out before anyone knew that the Detroit um, news, I believe, you know, was working on this story or was going to release the story. And so it was very choreographed. And that's so that number one is the first thing that struck me about it is how completely behind Matt Patricia, the Lions organization decided to be right off the bat. And there's been a lot of speculation and questions about Patricia's, you know, how what this all means moving forward. And I think the only thing you can draw on that front is how together uniform and clear the Lions organization was about how they believed you know, this allegation, everything about this allegation, how much they believe uh, in their coach moving forward. So from just sort of a brass tacks, you know, part of looking at this, that that to me was what stuck out the most right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, he was indicted by um, a grand jury, which is no small thing. At the same time, it's a case where, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people make judgments on Twitter and all over the place. It's like, we simply don't, Right. have the facts to know and it's 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 a kind of thing where for him he's he he came out very passionately about uh you know his side of it and at the same time one of the, one of the reasons the case never went through was that the the female involved refused to go to court to give her side so we just simply don't have the facts what are you supposed to do with this information 22 years later when we don't know what happened right and matt patricia has emotionally aggressively categorically and unequivocally denied all accusations or charges so what what more do you go on when there's no one to say otherwise well it's it's okay to not have an opinion on everything and and still a be interested in the story because it is a story. One of there's been a lot of opinions quickly out there, but but one of the ones that I think is easiest for me to push back is some of just like the reaction to it that this is not a story. Well, no, it, it is a story. It's a fact that a journalistic, you know, enterprise found out about it's absolutely uh newsworthy that you put it out uh he, you know, they did that in all the correct way. He's responding to it in the way that he chooses. It was, you know, fascinating and uncomfortable to watch him because you're watching it knowing, hey, this is one of the tougher uh, moments of 
you know, his professional life and, and you're watching it in real time. But but there's also no, you know, if if you find out that this is something that happened, of, of course, that's a story. I mean, it's a story when you're looking at any of the draft prospects in any of their background. It's just he's in the public eye and it's something to put be put out there. And for the most part, I think people have been pretty, you know, responsible in, in their reaction. To I mean, it. do you think the Lions like they, they came out so quickly with their support and their statement backing him? But behind the scenes, is there another wave to this where they they do investigate further to get utter clarity, or is that is it over in the, it for that organization? Like from they, they're very public, uh, right off the bat comments. It seems like they're behind him. The one thing I'm thinking though is like that doesn't necessarily mean the story is over. This is a huge story because it's it involves sexual assault accusation, which is very serious. You have to understand the framing of when this is happening during the Me Too movement and everything around that. And then also, it's an NFL head coach. And then, you don't know, because it's such a big story, media members are going to try to dig on this. Who knows? Maybe, does the accuser come into the frame now? You don't ever know that. And then what happens if, if this accuser then comes into the frame and, and gives more shading to the story, which we don't have, then what do the Lions do? So, I don't think the story is over yet, necessarily. And it's just a, 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 a terrible situation. And if Patricia is innocent... Um, can you imagine a, a worse scenario? If no. he is an innocent man that you, you get pulled into this and you have to address this and you have a family and you have kids. We saw him at the owner's meetings with his family, all smiles. Um, and if, the, if it actually was something that happened, then he does deserve to, to, to have a comeuppance at some point, and we're going to see what happens. I, I think the Lions have said what they're going to say about it. Now he goes back to the business of coaching his team. They have a rookie minicamp on Friday, and I think – it's it's almost silly because you're right. There's no way to to know anything on it. But what to your point, Dan, if there's anything else that does come out or anything moving forward, then the Lions are gonna you know, then it's gonna be on them to to respond. And if nothing else comes out, I think it's just gonna be something that hangs over this off season. It's a fluid situation, I think. Um, let's move on. Adrian Peterson. Uh, we did a uh, live hit for NFL Network earlier this week about free agents. Humble break. <laughs> so many viewers. We were not even trillions. Sure. Yeah. We don't even know if it actually happened. Yeah, it was a exactly. pre-tape. It wasn't even live. I no, don't like to one. lie to the audience. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, little camera magic there. Uh, you know, Adrian Peterson doesn't have a job. The segment we did was free agents that are notable guys that could probably help a team that don't, ha- don't have a gig. Uh, so all day, one of the great running backs of this generation uh, still looking for work. He's posting workout videos uh, and showing that he still can get it done. Tom Pelissero had a conversation uh, with AP. He had this to say, I'm healthy and I'm ready to roll. If you want someone to help you win a championship and be productive, be very productive, you know how to contact me. Wes, I know you believe all day deserves uh, another year in this league. Do you think it happens? Yeah, I thought Steve Kime, the Cardinals general manager, summed it up well at the Combine when he said, it's obvious you can see he has this running talent still. Anyone who has an eye for football can see this guy can still run. But he's a net loss in the passing game, and that's a hard position to fill in 2018, a guy who's not good in the passing game as your running back. There are franchises that go years without a 100-yard rusher, and I bet fewer than half of the 32 teams last year had a single player rushed for 130 yard runs yards in a game he did it twice in a month behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league this guy can still play I the what I, I think it's it's about fit and it's like you when you try to boil down the teams that could or should 
have an interest in Adrian Peterson. It's not a long list for the reasons you mentioned, because he's not a guy that you can disguise and have him do all these different things. He's out there. You know why he's out there. But at the same time, like the NFL over and over is a people business, and there are coaches out there that, that know what Adrian Peterson can bring, and they, they have had their defenses destroyed by him in the past, and he'll always have allies. I just think with him, you don't need to sign him right now. You sign him probably really close to the summer, to training camp, because the guy doesn't even play in the preseason for the most part, and then you try to find out, can you make this guy a part of your offense? Well, he's maybe an injury replacement you know, for some, some guy that goes down. Because to Wes's point, he's not a backup. That's his problem. He's not a backup. He kind of needs to be a it's sort of the same problem as Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, and this is this the tweener. This is a problem with a lot of aging running backs that aren't helpful in the passing game. They're not going to help on special teams. You know, that's what you want out of your third or fourth running back. So if if you're not really a backup because you're not good on third downs or special teams, he needs an injury to happen. But it wouldn't surprise me if that is exactly what happens. Someone gets hurt and they sign Adrian Peterson. Let's take a peek behind the curtain of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins selected uh, Minka Fitzpatrick uh, in the first round when they were on the clock. Uh, the Dolphins speak very highly of Fitzpatrick as a, a defensive player that's kind of a jack-of-all-trades that can do a lot of things uh, for their team. But one individual was not necessarily sold on the move, and it was the owner. Uh, the Boston Globe reported over the weekend, this via the Miami Herald, that Ross, quote, stepped in and implored his team to trade back, both to acquire more picks and save money on the first rounder. They obviously... Did not do that. Uh, And then uh, later on in this piece in the Miami Herald, uh, a quote from Stephen Ross about the draft class. This is Miami's entire draft class. uh, Draft class. We'll see. Nobody knows for sure with this stuff. (laughs) Wes. It's honest. What's going on behind the scenes in Miami? I thought this was interesting because me particularly, I've taken a lot of cheap shots at the Dolphins just because I have no idea what they're doing or what their plan is. And, their plan for the last half decade has been to spin their wheels for a while. But this is an interesting conversation, especially after we talked to Adam Gase uh, at the owners' meetings, and we got a sense of frustration that this has to be a hard front office to work with. And I think what, what this article shows is all owners are different, but I think we underestimate how involved they are with the football program. And that's got to be hard to work with if you're Adam Gase. There, when we... Uh on our, our one of our recent shows had a big question when we were around the AFC for each team. And, and, my, and my question raised the ire uh, I learned soon after on Twitter from many Dolphins uh, bloggers and followers who did not like that I simply suggested that they are a bit of a shapeless uh, organization in the sense that I, I, they could win nine games, they could win three, but I'm not quite sure who they are when I think about them compared to some other teams. I think that's that's just how I feel. But the accusation... That I, that I heard was national reporters are never attuned with what the Dolphins are doing. But one thing that exactly with, your, with the Gase meeting and this is it just feels like if some organizations are completely fluid and working from coach, owner, front office together on some very clear plan, it, the owner here is saying, I'm not thrilled with what, with what I saw or how the str- he wanted them to be more strategic, to uh, compile picks. You don't hear owners say that that much. And I think that, you know, for all these Dolphins fans that are upset, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they are a team that goes out and wins 10 games. But it's the roadmap to get there from right here is it's not as easy to see as it is with some other teams. I don't, I'm not sure what, what there is to gain to tell a columnist in Miami uh, your feelings of indecision or... Or whoever leaked it to the Globe. Or, 
or whoever leaked it to the Globe. I'm not sure what what is gained from by Stephen Ross other than uh, publicly undermining the leadership in your own organization. I, I find it interesting. He really wanted to trade back, not just in the first round, but maybe in the in the in the second. Perhaps they didn't quite get the guys that they wanted. Like guys they wanted were taken ahead of them, and that's a very uh, analytical way of looking at things. I know Ross is sort of in. Yeah, you know, I think interested in that. That's not really the way um, that front office is necessarily set up, although it does have a non-football guy, quote-unquote, at the top in terms of Mike Tannenbaum. But what struck me in in this article was just going through the list of how many different people have worked for Ross. It's been a, the last decade, five different coaches, three GMs, two different executive vice presidents who've all sort of told him, all right, things are heading in the right direction, and he never quite sees the results consistently in the right direction, and then there's a lot of change, and you have to wonder if there's going to be more. Yeah. In sports, it always starts at the top. Always. At the very top. You learn, and I feel like the older I've gotten as a sports fan, you become more and more plugged in on how vital the owner is. It's the single most important person in any yeah. franchise. I say, uh, uh, in any sport. I mean, I'm a Knicks fan. They have a horrible owner situation, and they've been underwater for 20 years. The teams like Robert Kraft and the Patriots, a good ownership situation. Yeah, no, and and Kraft's the first to to go out there and say that being an NFL owner is not an easy job. It took him a while to figure out how to do it. And if you're an owner that can't figure out how to, how to do it after a couple of years, your team is is afloat and driftless. And before I get Dolphins fans mad, oh. I I said undermine. I don't mean undermine, but he, he Stephen Ross, it's second guessing your own organization. I love, the, I love the honest uh, comment. I thought it was one of the more intriguing things you hear an owner say, but you're right. It's not something you, as an organization you'd expect him to say. While, while we're on the Dolphins, I do want to say I kind of like their roster more than I expected when I did this projected starter series. If you look at their roster, it's not – they don't have the stars, and that's why I don't expect them to be that great. Like, who is their best player? Like, they don't have the top-shelf talent. But if you look at their two-deep roster – Really, throughout, they don't have huge weaknesses. They're deep in the secondary, deep at receiver, deep at defensive end. I like Kenyon Drake's explosiveness. I don't think this is a bad-looking team. They just need star power. But I think they're better than the other two AFC East teams yeah, other than the Patriots. I, I totally I agree, and there were games last year where you saw it. But it, it I think I, I agree with what we said a couple weeks ago. They could win nine games. No one in here is going to be shocked by that. Or they could win five, and no one would be shocked. They got four games against the Jets and the Bills, and that will – those are games they have to win. Uh, in other news, Stephen Jones, they do. You have to clean up in the division. Jets and Bills also have games against the Dolphins, right. which I'm sure they're looking forward to. Well, the Dolphins get well, that automatic win over the Patriots in Miami every year. So yeah, so yeah, you're splitting at least with the Patriots, and then you got to clean up against the division mates that aren't as good, and then you're in good shape to maybe get to 10 wins. That's how football works. <laughs> Let's move on. Stephen Jones is the executive vice president of the Cowboys, and uh, he is a mouthpiece for the team these days. And uh, in a post-draft conference call, um, he had this to say about Tavon Austin, who was acquired for a late-round draft pick from the Los Angeles Rams during the draft, uh, that Dallas plans to get, quote, a dozen or two dozen touches per game um, for the (laughs) wide receiver slash running back. (laughs) <laughs> Wes, you're shaking your head. I First of all, we see this about Taven Austin with every new coaching staff he has or every old coaching staff. Or, every offseason is how do we get the ball to Tavon Austin. Also, I shaking my head, I'm shaking my head because 
so many coaches and execs, execs throw out these numbers all the time for workloads. Right. Do they just not understand the math, which is problematic to me? Like, how are you in that position and don't understand the math? Or are they math just like hard. publicly trying to boost the guy's confidence? I don't know. I, I think they're fans. I think watching the All or Nothing show, one of the things that stuck out for good and bad, the Jones family are fans of the Cowboys. You know, they go – and I'm sure all owners are fans of their team, but I think it's it's sort of different because they're running the organization. So th- that's – Stephen Jones is like – as a fan, he's thinking like, oh, this is great. We're going to have – But he also has to run the franchise well, and actually find a way to put – So that's problematic. I don't hand. believe for a second – Tavon Austin is getting a dozen to two dozen touches. Two dozen game. touches? I don't believe per you're a season, Cowboys not fan. Per game. Dozen per month. That's how, if you're predict. a Cowboys fan, dozen how are you month. projecting to watch games next season where Tavon Austin is touching the ball this. 24 I am. times? Because I, I, I heard this and it's I just, just thought ridiculous. this is just nonsense. It's not how about happen. the Ryan Switzer angle where they trade him to the Raiders and he, he, he comes out Austin. saying this week that they were trying to fit him in as a running back. Right. That we thought all along, oh, they've got duplicative slot receiver scenarios here. He's the heir apparent, and instead they're trying to make him a running back. It's like now you're doing it with Tavon Austin. We're not buying that either. You could start the jury segment thing right now. He's the so, top of the list. Greg, you're telling me that the executive vice president of an NFL football team runs his team as if he's a fan, not an executive? I think on that's that is bothersome. Have they gotten Not better as at a fan, but I think they get excited about the good things in the off season and the positives. And we've seen that when they give Ken Hamlin and Roy Williams and all these guys contracts. They're like they get ex- over little overly excited about the moves they make like a fan. And then when things go wrong, I think they get overly like angry like a fan. I feel like there was a distinctive shift from. That's why Jerry owners Jones, don't run teams in general. From Jerry Jones to Stephen Jones, that in the much more Stephen Jones run era, they're drafting better and they're not making those Jerry Jones type head scratching, mo- you know, con- giving those contracts out. Why don't we just run the Cowboys to Mexico? Just get them out of the country. Wait, what? <laughs> you guys are real angry. I'm so just get rid of oh, the Cowboys. No, I love. I think I'm there's t- probably some residual Tavon Austin annoyance in this room <laughs> in general. It's not just the Cowboys. I'm just tired of coaches and execs not even understanding the math of their own team. How could right. you possibly project those numbers I, for Tavon Austin when you're also projecting two dozen touches for Zeke every game? Also, who says Give me a break? Who says a dozen or two dozen in general? What kind of ways? It's an odd. It's an yeah, odd. Right. That's a good syntax. Yeah. Yeah, I, about I, ten to twenty touches. I think yeah. one of the yeah. one if you're a coach of the Dallas Cowboys, especially the head coach, but even Scott Linehan, it part of your job is kind of rolling your eyes every once in a while at what the bosses say. Can you imagine being? We do it all the time. Right. I'm just. But yeah. Why are we so angry about this? Can you imagine being a patient and your doctor says, "Well, you can live for a dozen or two dozen more years, (laughs) whatever." (laughs) Have a little specific. Stop saying dozen. (laughs) Everybody, calm down with Baker's dozen too. How ridiculous! (laughs) It's absurd. It's an absurd. Just say thirteen, you idiot. Although I love I, Baker's does. Yeah, you know, I go to the you know, I go to the, the bagel store nearby, they give you that free extra bagel if you get twelve, the baker's dozen. Well, why not? Dan's been let's, sharply overruled on let's, Baker's dozen. Let's just keep it room. in the bakery, is what I'm saying. Wow. Can't say I eat your own. Shout out Can't to say I, agree with this take. <laughs> I mean, you guys have your hot takes about Tavon Austin. I can have a Baker's dozen take. I believe Stephen Jones is the one with the hot take on Steve, on Tavon Austin. Uh Ichiro is a legendary a uh, Japanese-born uh, baseball player, and he is wrapping a career that has spanned both in Greg's native Japan through, <laughs> through is, America. It's offensive. To, How is that offensive? I don't know. It's I, Well, it's just untrue. It's, it's untrue. untrue. It's very different. Wildly untrue. Uh, your wife is from Japan. Yeah. 
She born in Japan, correct? Emma? She was born there, then grew up here till she was nine, then moved back there till high school. So a little bit of both. Wow, what a road! And I, I do think you'll end up there as well. Just my Sessler on your situation. Long term. <laughs> someday, someday. I don't think so. Football does not translate. Anyway, Ichiro, Ichiro, one of the greats, uh, both in Japan and America, and uh, he uh, has a feature, a long feature, The Athletic, which is coming strong. They have not reached out to us about a poach scenario yet. And I would not say they, you know, there may be something to poke around about. Just poke around if you want. (laughs) I'm not saying come get us. I would I, never say that, especially an on an NFL.com podcast. You're no Earl Thomas. Sure. I just said the athletic is going all over uh, America, throwing $100 bills at people. Some due diligence you're asking for. You're Podcasts just saying are very you, big right now. You would be happy to have some $100 bills land on you. I, I'm not even going to say that. You don't have to snatch them up, but if they land on you. I'm just saying, did you read we were mentioned in the Sports Business Journal, did a deep dive on the podcast industry? Um that to me rang as you know we're players in the industry. The <laughs> athletic is doing very well in poaching a lot of journalistic talent and covering beats and such. But are they really on the podcast side of things? There's a logical connection here that you brought up. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Peter Gammons, the great former Boston Globe writer, ESPN baseball guy, he now writes for the Athletic, and he shared a great little nug that he got from my boyhood hero, Donnie Baseball. On Ichiro, and I'm going to read it because it's just a really funny nugget. Uh, one morning in spring training 2017, Ichiro was in the coach's room looking at his cell phone text messages. Ichiro told the coaches about one message he had just received from a number he didn't recognize. The guy said he'd gotten Ichiro's number from Alex Rodriguez and that he wanted to come meet him and study his stretching system. What's the guy's name? Asked one of the coaches. Ichiro scrolled to the end of the text. Some guy named Tom Brady. Who the f*** is Tom Brady? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, number one, do we believe that he really doesn't know who Tom Brady is? Absolutely. I've been really enjoying this story, but there's a very <laughs> nagging presence in the back of my head that says it's all fake because, of course, he knows who Tom Brady is. Why? He's, wait, he's, why, wait, wait, why? Well, because he's because 44 years old. spends much of his time in America. How do yeah, you, you how do you not know who Tom Brady is if you've been in, if you're 44 years Ichiro old? He never you plugs into SportsCenter? No. Because he, he, he's a Japanese Probably player. not. I don't even plug in the sports center. He's, well, I don't either. He's a native Japanese speaker pretty much has his own, you know, corner. He came here as a fully formed superstar, bigger, I think, you know, in Japan than Tom Brady's ever been That's here. That's an argument for him being no, unaware. No, I know, I'm saying, yeah, I think it kind of is because I think you're, Why? In, you're insulated and you're in. You're Too part many of the touches Japanese for co- Tavon Austin. Yeah, you're part. Like, you, what is he, do you think he pays any attention to like in the NFL? I, I would just football? say this. Like, like, he, probably like, not. Here's the thing. People that pay no attention to football at all, but they are 44 years old and, and even good, good luck even walking for a week in this country, going into any sort of establishment in the fall, anytime, and not seeing Tom Brady's image. In Uggs Retail Center? It's, I agree it just with Mark. Se- it just, seem, it just it's, seems like it's not even logical right. to me. I, I, you're, you're, I think he's kind of on your wavelength where it's like you can be like, you, could, you sometimes like there are certain things that have happened in American life and you're like, oh, I've never even seen I'm this saying, or heard he, of that, but it's he like, has his that's own cool, life. He's, he's a crazy level of superstar. That's that, true. You know, he, he doesn't care about football, and he just he probably has Nobody never, close no, to him has ever brought up football to right, him or Tom may, Brady. Maybe. Come on. Here's uh, one point. Maybe. Like it's Kate, just not believable. Like, for instance, and this is a, a bad example on some level, but like, like Kane Shikori is as big a 
star in Japan as Tom Brady is here. Now, he doesn't work here. Can you tell here. people who are listening who that is? He's a top 10, or he was a top 10 tennis player, you know, for much of the last five years. He's, he's that big level of star. Now, he works in the U.S. and lives in the U.S. for much of the year. Most people have no idea who this person is. I just, he's, let's, you know let's what I'm saying? On, like, let's turn it on, on its ear. If you were living in Japan and were not a tennis fan, you would still hear yes, Ishikori's yeah, name and know sure. who he was. And I will say, yeah. having being a huge baseball fan and following Ichiro's career for many years, that he is extremely popular with teammates, and he speaks English to teammates, and he um, is a guy that's well-known for his sense of humor. And just in general, he's not some hermit in, in the clubhouse. I would think, even though baseball season only slightly overlaps with football season, <laughs> that he definitely probably knows. There are conversations but, in the locker room so about you think, football. Do so you think Certainly. it's like when Wes really does know who Sia is, but just kind of like, right. hey, who is Sia? I've never heard of Doing Sia. It for a how you think Ichiro is doing How do you that? spell Sia? <laughs> uh, by the way, I we're, really like, we're acting I, like... That's the first that time I've heard bad, of Sia. We're also example. acting like because you, you spend some of your time in Japan that it's impossible to know who Tom Brady is because he's all the way over here in America. Tom Brady has Japanese commercials. Like there, your your NFL and Tom Brady are on televisions all over the world. It is not exclusive to the fifty states where we live. Give He's me like a Bill break Murray over there. They see him in the whiskey commercials. He has Please. that. He Please. has that uh, good loss in translation, Ralph. Thank you. Uh, he has a creepy mattress commercial. He has Uggs. He has a supermodel wife that puts him all over the world. He That's traveled true. to China uh, to do Goodwill, which is not the same as Japan, but hell, it's in Asia. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. Fair to say he probably knows who Tom Brady is. Greg? He might. I, what I'm getting, though, is he might just be kind of a strange guy who doesn't know a lot of like things that you would, like I pop culture or politics I be, I or whatever. I believe that's true, but I still think he knows who yeah. Tom Brady is. I, yeah, I, I don't get down with the – I can't get behind the level of unawareness that this guy would have to have to not know who Tom He's Brady is. He's also funny. I feel like it could have been just a throwaway joke line that he said, and then some reporter wrote it down as if it was actually true. Well, we'll, we'll never know. <laughs> That's Maybe what's we, happening. Let's get Ichiro on the show. Can we <laughs> pull? Amazing. You got, can we pull him? You got connections, right? <laughs> yeah, your connects. It is the Orient. It is just about um, Yamaka's favorite player ever, Ichiro. The hottie, you know. Wait, so what? I said it's just about her favorite player ever. Oh, you're Ichiro is a hottie? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. He is? <laughs> I'm, I've seen him. I'm looking at photos of him. I don't, I don't know if I totally agree, but. Well, that's, that's racist. That's what's happening. No, that is not. I just don't find him super hot. I find him to be handsome. I don't find him. New segment. The jury is still out on ellipses. And it's like a zombie court. Uh, all right. So this, what is this seg about? This seg is about uh, taking... It could be anything. It could be a player. It could be a coach. It could be uh, something up in the booth. It could be anything in the football world that, you know, you're just not sure about. The jury's out. That's what the jury's out means. It's just like there's no verdict, Greg. So, Mark, get us going. I am annoyed already by the narrative, and I, I'm starting to see articles – 
Cleveland Browns sneaky wild card team. And it's just like you have to slow down with this. It was the CP on ESPN.com yesterday. You have to slow down with this. From a dinner, from our dinner guest, Mike Clay from the NFL. Uh, well, uh, here's the thing is if you read what he wrote, I, I read the article and if everybody wrote, it's like it, it, all of it makes sense. It's the headline they put on it that he probably had nothing to do with. But then it gets sent around and all this stuff happens. But there is this sense. So you're saying his article was molded like clay. To fit people, he he. I would imagine people. he might have been slightly annoyed with the headline too. That would be my guess. But there is something going on with the Browns thing where we're acting like that we did this last year too to some degree. Where oh, they're this sneaky team that they're going to jump I, up and win seven or eight games out of nowhere. And I what what the jury is out on for me are a couple of elements. There are a lot of things the jury are out on with the Cleveland Browns in general. But number one. You have a guy in Joe Thomas that spent his entire career and retired months before the team put together what is arguably their best roster. And that left tackle spot, I think, is, is to me, sticks out as one major issue. You've got potentially Sean Coleman in there at left tackle, who was a disaster last season. You have drafted Austin Corbett, who, who, who is a, a potentially good lineman, but he fits much more as a guard, people feel like, than a left tackle. And so you suddenly have this idea that you're going to go with, with Tyrod Taylor, who is not a guy that gets through seasons easily, 16 games without interruption, with a major issue on your offensive line. And if, that, if he goes down, you have to try to grow your rookie quarterback in an offensive line with the same weakness. Beyond that... I, don't, I look at a coaching staff that is so super high on the radar right now because they should have gotten more than four or five wins out of that team last year, and they have shown no ability to maximize talent. And I wonder if we're looking at a team that is really actually entering into a season of ultra chaos organizationally because you have a strong-minded GM who's going to bring in his own guy, and the firings could start happening mid-season if they don't get off to a fast start. Snuffing out all gotta, this nonsense. You got to crawl before you can walk. You got to walk before you can run. And this happens a lot. The people jump to conclusions about the Browns, like you're saying. So just let the Browns get respectable. We don't need to put those expectations on the team. Just hang in games, win five or six, and it's a huge game. This idea that, like, oh, they could be a wild card. Well, you're talking nine, ten wins. And that there's no need to go down that road. It just it's It's unnecessary, I think. Coaching matters. Todd Haley's a, one of the reasons why I have more faith in them. That 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 Hugh is letting Todd Haley do the offense. I was never, I always thought they were one of the worst teams in the league going into last year. The optimism didn't make a lot of sense. And I think they, they there's enough to believe in, especially with Haley, that they'll just be solid. You're right, not a wild card, but just five, six, whatever. Wes, the jury is still out on ellipses. This is a guy who Greg Rosenthal wrote a banger on, and if you haven't read it yet, check it out. Greg's article on Patrick Mahomes. So many people, just because of his physical gifts and what he showed in that season finale in a throwaway game, have him like the Chiefs are going to be even better than they were last year when Alex Smith was an MVP candidate. Well, the jury's still out on Patrick Mahomes. I remember a few years ago, I mean, one game is nothing. I remember after three or four games when Brett Favre said that Austin Davis was the next Kurt Warner. Where's Austin Davis now? I mean, one game is just nothing, especially at the end of a season. We have no idea who Patrick Mahomes is or what he's going to be. Also, check out Jenny Vrentis' article in the MMQB where Patrick Mahomes goes into detail about how reliant he was on Alex Smith for pre- and post-snap reads in that season finale. I think one of the reasons I'm excited and people are excited is the preseason and then more, you know, for other people is that he was someone that people 
if you loved him in college, you really loved him. And I think so that's what's informing them. Seeing what he did in college, people believe in their evaluations. Now they've gotten like this one start, which helped to confirm what they thought. You know, the Chiefs were among the team. I mean, the Chiefs gave up more to draft Patrick Mahomes, you know, than, than the Jets, I think, gave up to draft Sam Darnold. They, he, they believed in him. He also went... Like what, twelfth? He didn't right. go top three. Right, but I mean, he went twelfth. He was maybe going to go thirteen. People, people were into him as this, you know, raw prospect, and that's I think what part of it is. is you just see the gifts. Yeah, I agree with you. The argument I'd have for him is he made me excited watching him last preseason, and I'm not putting it all in one game against a broken oh, Denver Broncos team I, late in the year. He's an exciting player, and also I trust when Andy Reid makes a series of moves this offseason where you're willing to part with an MVP candidate from last season and Alex Smith, and you just hear what they've said verbally from the GM to the coach about Mahomes, that's the hope. I don't think you hear them gush over quarterbacks that way very often. So that's the hope. But you're right, though, in terms of processing, in terms of growing as a quarterback, even the best guys have to go take a ton of lumps, and you're, you can't you can't suddenly make it seem where, oh, now, if Mahomes isn't an all-star two months in, the same way Deshaun Watson was last year, that, you know, the whole thing is what it is. It's going to take time to show, to reveal itself. Exactly. And to be clear, the jury is not out on how exciting he's going to be. I firmly believe he's going to be one of the most exciting quarterbacks to watch. I just – the jury is out on whether they're a oh, better no team with him. No doubt. Right. Uh, I wrote a mailbag today, and one of the questions was, what is the team most likely – to go first to last. And I don't think the Chiefs are a team that's in danger of anything like that. But if you have to make the ranking, when you factor in that their defense is suspect, that the division could be better, and then you are turning the keys over to a guy that has no experience, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Chiefs this year. We, I think we talked about this last week, that they have a really high ceiling and maybe a bit of a floor that's lower than people think. Uh, I'll go next. Here we go. The jury is still out. Well, you know, great. You know I'm going to go down this road. The Patriots offense. <laughs> oh, I haven't hit this topic yet. No, no. Well, welcome to May, baby. Uh, here we go. The Patriots offense is coming off a Super Bowl where they, they shredded the Eagles defense. But, yeah, no Dion, no Danny, no Nate Solder. They just released Antonio Garcia, who is a, a, a draft pick that had health problems, 2017 third-round pick that was a potential uh, fill-in for Solder. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about this. No idea if Julian Edelman will be Julian Edelman anymore. He's post-age 30 coming off an ACL. Now you get excited about Sony Michelle, and you say that guy could be the X factor. Uh, but jury's out. That's all. Jury's not in. You think the jury's in. You think they came back with a ver- verdict, but they didn't. You got an old man quarterback and an offense that's been weakened. Can I ask you one question? Yeah. I mean, not that we should just – assume the Patriots are going to always continue to roll the way they do. And I, I think this is a bit of a different offseason for them, but I, have they not built up enough cachet stored trust that they the go jury through? they return a verdict that they're good? Yeah, the ju- you're, it's a surprise that the jury's not back. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. the jury is stuck on this one just a little bit. Is there like one person in the jury room holding the rest of the jury hostage? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe there's somebody that doesn't really want to just look back in the past. Some some people look and say there are no reverse gears. A forward-thinking jury person. To me, it's yeah. it's like levels it. of like how great are they because they have been at a different level the last couple of years even than they maybe were at some different points during the last decade. So even if they fall, like their defense has enough questions that their offense has to be 
near the very top. They can't get back up to like the eighth best offense. So on that level, there are changes. I give them some faith because look, they drafted Matt Light to be their left tackle. He was their left tackle. They drafted Nate Solder to be their left tackle. He was their left tackle. They drafted Isaiah Wynn to be their left tackle. Now he's he's the guy they're putting in. He's a first-round pick that a lot of people really like. So I'm going to see how that goes. To, that, that is less of a concern. One thing for Dan, they have a little bit of a Trojan horse scenario. They still have Kenny Britt on that roster, and he is, a, he is someone that bleeds the organization from the inside out. And I think we're all overlooking that locker That's room. 12 angry he might not make, He might not make the team. Might not make the if team. he does, they're doomed. You know what we're overlooking? He's got to battle Dorsett. What we're overlooking is the next banger from Mark Sessler's top ten Trojan horses in the NFL. Ooh, I like, I like that one. I think it's time, Mark. I think it's time. I don't know if I have the energy to write that right now. Maybe, maybe a little bit later in the offseason. Gap. Uh, all right, you're up, Greg. <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, two guys that mu- that Chris absolutely hates being grouped together. Because, but let's just face it, they were drafted one pick apart. Jury's out <laughs> on uh, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. Not that, not whether they can be a starting quarterback in the NFL, uh, but how high, how great can they be, and how soon? Now they're only 24 years old. They're one year older than Baker Mayfield right now, and and so I don't think necessarily they've been disappointing in their careers. But it is disappointing. Mariota had a, an entire season where he threw more interceptions than, and, than touchdowns. There's a lot of factors into that, but that's disappointing. Well, Jameis Winston has not gotten over trying to give the ball away uh, every third possession, really. That's just kind of been in his DNA, and he's done a lot of good things, too. So they're starting quarterbacks, and they're good. They're franchise quarterback. That's fine. But I think the jury is out on how good they can be and and especially how good they can be this early on their on their rookie contract. Is it out enough where if neither of these quarterbacks improved over the next two seasons that both teams look for a different quarterback no. down the road? I, no, I don't think I don't, so. I think Greg's right that like the jury is in that they're franchise quarterbacks and their teams will sign them to, to extensions, but the jury's out as far as can they lift their team. And Mariota did in the playoffs a little yep. bit. Yep, yeah, but they both bit. they both had moments. Uh and and Mariota certainly did at the end of last season. And he did in like a six game stretch the year before when they were one of the best offenses in the league. Right. And Winston, like Winston's numbers last year were misleading, but they were pretty great. He closed and, the season you know, well. Yeah. That team had a stink on it all year but and it, it's not just people him. had stopped but, paying attention to them by the end of the season when the, they were moving the ball. The reality yeah. is if you line up the thirty two quarterbacks last year, that no one's arguing that they were in the top twelve or so. Right. And so that's now they're getting to the, the, the point of their rookie contract fourth year. I think the jury's out, you know, whether whether they're going to do that. I agree. Mark. All right. The jury is out. Uh, I understand, number one, when Aaron Rodgers with him back at the helm, it's you want to just ticket the Packers for 11 and 5, 12 and 4. And wouldn't be shocking to see that happen because I think he's he's the kind of guy that literally the team could roll that way with him. But the jury is out for me on the rest of the Green Bay roster surrounding him despite you know their draft they added a couple cornerbacks like it's not that it's 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 a disastrous roster but I think the way that they crumbled in the absence of Aaron Rodgers last season put them on my radar big time that this is not a Super Bowl roster I'm not even sure I mean they're certainly not a better overall roster than the Vikings and so you need you need to have Aaron Rodgers come in and create that difference and we know he can do it but I'm done just ticketing them for the NFC championship year after year I don't Love the roster on the whole. I like the roster. And a good reason why is because Aaron Rodgers is just that great. And I I thought watching them early last year, they were my Super Bowl pick because 
with Aaron Rodgers there, they had a lot going right for them, and they pull out a lot of games just because Aaron Rodgers is so good. I, I would not be surprised at all if they finished ahead of the Vikings. Aaron I guess my point, though, is without Rodgers. With Rodgers, yes, they can do all these things, but but I don't That's, love the way they're like constructed. any great quarterback. Oh, they're done if he gets hurt, but you could say that for basically every team in the league. I don't feel that way about, like, for instance, the Vikings lost multiple quarterbacks last year, and the strength of that overall though. roster. That's an outlier if you look at history. It's fair to say the jury's out on, you know, the receiver depth. You know, who's going to step up? Is Jimmy Graham going to be a good signing? Are, are they good enough at running back? Like, some of the, the defensive signing, how much better is Petten going to make them? I think they have a lot of potential, and I think I'm probably going to, you know, kind of like them in the in the picking you know, them to go far in the preseason. But I think it's fair to say there's been a lot of change, and, and there's a lot of question marks with I like, this roster. I like them every year, too, because of Aaron Rodgers. He's one of my favorite players ever. But, Mark, you're right in the sense that, you, we should question them. It's been a long time, and I think we kind of forget this. It's been a long time now since Super Bowl forty-five, and this is one of the top, arguably five greatest quarterbacks ever. He's going to turn 35 in December, and one of the greatest sins the, the Packers could ever commit is if they waste the rest of this guy's prime and never get to a Super Bowl because it's not Aaron Rodgers. I know he's had some injury issues over the years now, but mostly it's been the, the team building has not been up to snuff, and you could argue the coaching as well. Uh, and and it's time. I feel like this is an important year for they, the Packers. They, I, I agree. And they've had some tough losses. I mean, they've been in the final eight teams five times since that Super Bowl. So they've they've put themselves they in, that, over the hump. in the that position, and yet they. It's like they alternate seasons between Rodgers getting hurt and having a crushing playoff loss. Well, they go fifteen and one in that one season, and then right. they, they suddenly they're wiped away by the Giants in the playoffs. I mean, it's like you got to find a way to, to be one of these teams that gets plays your best in January. And enough with the hiccups. The only two seasons, I believe, that they have not at least made the divisional round is when Rodgers got hurt. There was the year they lost in the wild card as an eight and seven team, and other than that, they're in that divisional round, and they haven't because of their defense and because of other things, they haven't been able to finish. Wes. Oh. Well, one last thing on this. A couple of things did get exposed last year when Rodgers went down. Brett Hundley, not a good quarterback, even though Mike McCarthy had <laughs> right. been raving about him for a couple of years. And they lacked depth all over at, in the secondary. That was my issue, watching them pass where rusher, they were last year. Like if, if pa- Nick Perry goes down or Clay Matthews has a bad couple of weeks, there's no pass rush whatsoever. So I think depth was an issue last year. I think they're a little kitties with Mike Pett. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the jury is still out on the Houston Texans offense. Decision process. I know Deshaun Watson led them to the highest points in the league for a five-week span. Five-week spans happen all the time. We just talked about Mariota in 2016 with the Titans' five- or six-week span. They have possibly the worst offensive line in the NFL. Uh, They are overhauling their entire offense, Bill O'Brien says. So even what they ran last year that surprised teams, they know they're not going to surprise teams again this year. Um, I I like their receivers. I like... Deshaun Watson, I don't trust their offensive line or their running game. Hmm. I mean, it it reminds me a little bit of the Green Bay situation that the minute they went to Tom Savage, I mean, they went from being this you could not you couldn't take your eyes off them. They were electrifying, and he created and he erased the problems of the offensive line because of his yeah. skill set. The minute you put in Tom Savage, they became a bottom seven attack. Right, and the the difference. Like, the Packers have a great offensive line, and the Texans do not, and they didn't really address their tackle position too much this offseason. I think they have a third-round pick. But you look at their tackles, it's among the worst. They signed 
Zach Fulton, I think, at guard, who was a Chiefs guy, but they signed a Chiefs guy to a huge contract last year, Jeff Allen, and he was a disaster. Like, their their line on paper and their running game, and really their depth behind Hopkins is not great. They're asking Hopkins and Watson to do too much. Like, I, I, I'm with you, Wes, that I think I think even if Watson plays great, he's he, it's an uphill battle for when them. When Will Fuller and Bruce Ellington were healthy along with Hopkins, they were an incredible wide receiver core. They were re- Bruce, Bruce Ellington. Ellington love. Bruce Ellington was great for a while in the slot, and then he got hurt again because he always gets hurt. And Will Fuller, as far as I've seen, always gets hurt too. So we'll see. But when those guys are healthy, they're dyna- they're not dynamic. Good one, Wes. I like that one. They even I remember even during Deshaun Watson's great run before the AS- ACL went out of nowhere. There was one garbage time game where they got killed, and then he Chiefs piled up game, a ton yeah. of stats. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't assume that he. A, Watson's going to be a stud, and B, well, he's also any good. He's also coming off a of major reconstructive knee surgery and probably will not be as mobile as he was. That's true. Uh, I'm going to say the jury's still out. It's always been out. I just want to offer – it's kind of like a PSA on um, <laughs> on jerseys. The, jur- the jury's been out. On jerseys, packs, all journeys. There are jerseys across the entire league. Jerseys. Okay. If you're a fa- football fan coming out of this draft, mm. and it's more draft-related – if you're coming out of this draft, and I don't want this to devolve into what happens on this podcast sometimes where we start just killing people for wearing jerseys. Oh, I'm, yeah, the verdict's backed. Let's just, jersey's okay. guilty. All right, you guys, <laughs> you're an adult. You guys are cool. I'm saying there's a huge, huge faction of football fans that like wearing jerseys and repping their team's colors. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the idea of prematurely buying in on a player uh, and you get killed because uh, I know, you know, Vinny in New Brunswick, he's going to want to get his uh, Saquon Barkley jersey. Uh, but, you know, you got the, the Bills Mafia. Uh, you know, this guy wants to suplex his friend through a fire table while, while wearing a Josh Allen jersey this fall. And I understand the, the rush to be that, to go that route. But you don't want to end up the guy that has the Johnny Manziel number three jersey in his closet or the Jamarcus Russell number one jersey in Oakland in his closet. I want to pound the table again and implore people. The ju- I, Wait a year. The jury's back. Wait a year. Wait a year. <laughs> These jerseys are not cheap. I think they're that expensive. makes a lot of sense. Even the ones that aren't the official ones, they're over $50, I believe, if you check the NFL shop. Get a veteran. Get a veteran, yeah. And if you're one of those guys, and again, this is a, 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 a subculture of fandom, so no judgment, everybody, even though I'm not in this group. Some people like to buy the official jerseys, and now we're talking hundreds of dollars in terms of an investment. Uh, so I'm just saying, be careful. You don't want you don't want to end up with a Paxton Lynch number twelve jersey in your closet uh, three years after the draft. Let the, especially the quarterbacks wait a year, see how they develop. I think you it, it's perfect to come out of the gate and call that a PSA because you're looking out for people's wallets. Primarily. Absolutely, you're on their side. You're not attacking. I'm a blue collar guy. There you go. I know that you you're saving up money to buy your NFL merch. I just don't want you to make a mistake that's both embarrassing So there will be no – I mean, if I, let's say when we come over to have, you know, at your house at Thanksgiving, have a nice drink with the, the Hanses family, mm-hmm. and the Jets are like 10-3, and there will no, there's no chance your lips that we'll God's have ears, a, my friend. There will be no Sam Darnold uh, paraphernalia around the house. You're going you're gonna to distinctively wait until about this time next year to purchase those Absolutely. products. Okay. I've already thought about that, getting Jack and Harry matching Darnold gear. Uh, but I'm going to hold off mm. for this very reason. I but like it. This very reason. Well, Question. they're going to be Rams fans, so that's part of it. <laughs> no way. I'll be out Question. of here. I'll be on the first plane out of here. <laughs> Question for the room. What yes. is the last jersey, if you ever bought one, that you bought? Mm. I never bought one. That's good. I got one as a gift, the Troy Brown one. Troy Brown. That would be good for you. 
I got a signed from some close friends, a signed Webster Slaughter jersey at my wedding, um, which uh, is, is, it's, it's an official one. It looks great. It's beautiful. The last one I bought was probably Bernie Kosar back in like 1989. <laughs> I had the first one I ever got was Boomer Esiason, number seven. Uh, then I got a Keyshawn, uh, a Wayne Corbett. And then the last one I actually got was probably when I was in my early 20s, I got a Pennington. And then I got... Oh, that made sense, I think, getting Pennington. Yeah, that was a good... How many people went down the Brett Favre Jets road? A lot. Right. In fact, if you go to Jet makes games sense. or you look at the tailgates, you see them, and that's increasingly a fever dream that had ever happened, and <laughs> those are people that dropped hundreds of dollars. There this is showing my age and... What the difference between this player in college and in the pros? The last jersey I, the only jersey I ever bought, was a Ronald Curry North Carolina jersey when <laughs> wow. he was the quarterback for North Carolina, and then he ended up being a like twice torn Achilles Raiders receiver. That's but he was he was a quarterback for North Carolina. That's a fun like different conversation because I almost impossibly he was a great basketball player too. Yes, wasn't he? he was yeah. like one of the all time athletes, just like Jimmy Graham. Almost impossibly, I had the home and away jerseys of a. Uh, Phoenix Suns uh, small forward Dan Marley. Thunder what? Dan. Thunder Dan. I have no idea. I was not a Suns <laughs> fan, but everyone had jerseys, and I wanted to get something different, and Thunder Dan was this uh, sharpshooter for a popular Suns team, and I said, like a dunk, call him yeah. in. Well, he also was was annually viewed as one of the best defensive wings in the NBA until Michael Jordan absolutely destroyed his career and defensive <laughs> reputation in the 93 finals. He also had a, a weird long vein that went down one of his arms. So he was cut up. Yeah, he had a nice spot. I was overrated Ron Curry on Roto World just thinking he was going to be a star. I did, too. Nice little career. He was, right, a little, he was like a poor man's Allen Iverson. Let's save it for the Ron Curry podcast, gentlemen. I think we've Close just done the Ron that's Curry it. Yeah, that's it. I'm glad we finally got to it. Um, you know, we only have so much time. Just know Cowboys and Chargers coaching staffs that I'm watching you, you know. But I'm going to I'm gonna put a different jury out. The jury is out on the Norv Turner, Cam Newton, Panthers offense experience. I'm excited. I'm ex- I, I'm a Cam fan. I I don't think he's fully hit his peak. Yeah, he, he did for one season. But in terms of the stabilizing and having a good rest of the career, I I think Norv was a good hire. But I want to see how this all works. It's kind of a strange mix. DJ Moore, Devin Funches, McCaffrey's the running back. Norv Turner, the line Cam. I have high hopes for Cam. I like. Curtis Mark Samuel's Turner. injury was more right. was more serious than they let on, and the, he might not even be ready for the jury. Season. The jury's out. This is a, a kind of an, an exciting, interesting, I think, thing to watch this season that hasn't gotten a ton of pop. I'm definitely watching. Yeah, and by the way, like just be just to save anyone listening the time of tweeting something that we will not respond to. <laughs> jury out. Jury's out does not mean uh, we're automatically critiquing. No this I, scenario. I I think we're kind of rooting two, for I, these I picked two things I really like. I love right. Jameis. I love just yeah. juries out means they're like. deliberating. Yeah. Okay. There's uh, Mark. You know better than anyone. Although you never went to the jury decision uh, section of your case, correct? What, and how do you mean? What is what are you saying? Return to of deliberations? Oh, we did. Oh, you went to deliberations. Absolutely. You said, guilty or not you guilty. You said the other day that uh, the case ended abruptly without any type of... No, it, it, they, we thought there were going to be multiple more witnesses, and then they then uh, they said they both rested, and then you go in and we we spent about two and a half hours deliberating, but there were like five counts, and they were not all guilty. They were not all not guilty. Okay. There was a mix, and you come away feeling... I did not like the feeling I had coming out of it. It was a hung jury? 
No, it's just that you you're affecting someone's life, multiple people's life. So, it's big big responsibility. Well, you should try it sometime, Dan. You might be good. I am waiting. Be a good jury member. I'm waiting. I'm. Or you could get on a dog biting trial like I did, and you know, it just feels <laughs> like a waste of time. It was a dog biting dog counter bite. suit. That is a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and money. And oh right, um, and they the got, jury is out on and they you literally thinking I didn't like go to jury duty. By the way, that is that is some. Or are you saying the jury's in? I, d- I know how I'm voting on that. I, I am voting guilty on your part. You are say, wrong. I send you back to the, the chambers <laughs> to further deliberate yourself. All right. Deliberate yourself. I was <laughs> waiting for the jury. I thought the jury was out at not, something not related to me. Mark, you said, was coming. I think the jury, it would be fair to say that, I mean, a lot. this podcast is by nature somewhat weird, and a lot of um, strange, intriguing moments weird. happen on this show. And I thought Greg's announcement on the last show uh, where he was essentially, I would say, commanded by his <laughs> lovely wife to come on the show to yeah. tell she listeners. She didn't say on the show. She just said oh, well, just to, to, to publicly start telling people, excuse me, I wear the pants in our relationship. I think, I think that one thing with, with every time you talk to Greg about his home situation, he's positive and things are very good. And I think the jury is not out on that. But the jury is a little bit out on the concept. And again, not going negative here, Greg. Right. They're deliberating right. on the concept of Greg officially wearing the pants. No, that's fair. Because yeah. I, we got a, I got a text immediately after from my, you know, my best friend, Dave Bennett, who, who introduced me now. Because he knows us two better, better as a group than anyone. And he right. said, like, you guys are my best friends in the world. And I don't even know who wears the pants. So the jury he, is just he, out. His, the jury he, is, he thought you know, the jury was out. That may take more than a couple hours for uh, you know, the deliberations there. Sneaky one of the more fascinating moments in the show's history. I'm still trying <laughs> to piece the whole situation together. <laughs> uh, so that's definitely in deliberations still. Feels like the ideal would be that neither wears the pants. That you respect each other so much that some, sometimes well, that's a just different a natural... conversation as well. Yeah. Nobody it's wears... more the command to tell oh, people. Uh, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Well, and also I think some, it's <laughs> odd. some women want the the man the man to wear the pants. Some do not. Some men do or do not the same. I'm trying to get out of that situation without any critique. <laughs> okay. Where was that going? That was going. Well, no, I think road. some people don't want this thing split fifty fifty. Am I wrong? It's like, oh, we're gonna have a long conversation about everything. It's like, tell me where we're going to dinner. I go right. in my in my relationship, my wife does want me to take the reins. Yeah, that's all I'm Absolutely. saying. Well, of course, yeah, not of course, but that's different. I think she's saying like when push comes to shove on major things, mm-hmm. who's wearing the pants? Speaking of which, that's where she was coming. Happy at. Mother's Day <laughs> to all the mothers out there. Oh, nice save. Because we literally would not be here without <laughs> the two Debs. And the kissing cousins' mothers' names: Kate, Barbara, Kate, and Babs. So shout out! Yeah, happy Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day! And to our own, there are three wives in here that are mothers as well, and to all mothers, and and Lindsay's mother as well. She listens. She's a big and the fan. Paramore, who's who's not a mother, oh, but okay. her mother, because she's sitting in, in the back. I know. See, so I've, yeah. I've met the Paramore's mom, and she did a great job helping to mother uh, Chris Wessling through. Uh, Absolutely. Tough, tough Actually, she and I had a cut on my finger that she said get back into the hospital and have them restitch that. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> had I not, I probably would have lost the finger. So. Lakeisha's mom is uh, an important figure. And if you notice, Wes has gotten quiet because we're talking about mothers and Lakeisha's in the room, and there's a lot of you know a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to unpack there as well. That's I nice. didn't even know she was here. There she is. Look at her. <laughs> oh, we have a little, some kind of cutout figure that my nephew sent that we're supposed to pose with. 
Flat Stanley. Okay, we're going to do a Flat Stanley uh, after the show. This is exciting. All right. I forgot we were still on. on. (laughs) We'll be back on Monday uh, with another episode, another three episodes. Are you kidding me? Stan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, Lindsay Fulton, and the paramour behind the glass. Till Monday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss in the land of saints and sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.